Thank you for coming to the podcast. It's Top Turtle MMA Podcast, episode 58, and it's brought to you by two tremendous companies in the world of mixed martial arts, the world OMMA. First, I want to talk to you about Sisu Mouthguard. Sisu makes the lightest, thinnest, most durable mouthguard on the market ever invented 1.6 millimeters thin they have a crumple zone i don't really know what that means but i know it protects your chompers and it protects your brain against some serious stuff head on over to sisuguard.com find yourself the right mouth guard for your sport or activity and i also want to talk to you about datsusara hemp gear datsusara makes fight gear out of hemp it's more durable than cotton it's antimicrobial which let's all admit right now is very important when you're in an mma gym head on over to dsgear.com enter in promo code top turtle one word not case sensitive for a nice little discount i recommend the fight shorts i roll in them often they're awesome you could also get a hemp fight shirt or you could get a hemp gi if you're a gi player they also have hemp belts for those hemp gis head on over to dsgear.com check that stuff out so in summation top turtle mma podcast is brought to you by sisu mouthguards and datsusara hemp gear thank you so much to our sponsors and our listeners are rolling. I am David Tremonti. He is Daniel Gumby Vreeland, the co-editor of MMA-Manifesto.com, our mothership, part of the Sports Daily Network. You can catch us there. Also, tune in Stitcher, SoundCloud, iTunes, Google Play, really wherever a podcast is being streamed. Gumby, one of the things I love about our show is we're not here to make insider, nerdy MMA references to try to show off how much we know. We're not here to talk about our day or our hair. We are a straight MMA podcast. Serve right to your face. No chaser. What do you say we get right into it? Let's get into it. All right. UFC 208 sucked. Go. (laughs) The least prep going in to any talk ever yeah i mean we talked about it beforehand right i mean like we said going into it as far as on paper it's one of the least impressive pay-per-view cards of all time let's go uh we'll kind of break it down step by step without going too in depth because i don't want to relive it the main event jermaine durandamy uh got a controversial decision win over holly home a lot of pundits had home winning three out of the five rounds It was a snooze fest, if you ask me. I wasn't really scoring it closely while I watched it live. I honestly, I mean, I hate to say it because I always respect the athletes when they go into the cage. I respect both those fighters so much. But at the end of that event, uh, everything I said about it on the preview show show last week, I just didn't have the effort to care. Yeah, I mean, like, so uh, when you've watched a card already and 9 out of 10 go to decision, I, I mean, there's already a level of apathy. And, you know, like, some of it was just bad match matchmaking. You wind up with style clashes that are, are weird and stuff like that. But, you know, like the brutal thing about that main event was that, you know, when, when I scored it, I would say probably rounds one, two, and three to Jermaine and rounds four and five to home. I think the scorecards are fine if it went the other way and you gave three to home and two to Durand. I mean, no complaining either way. It was a razor close fight. The thing that left a sour taste in everybody's mouth is Durandamine should have had a point taken at some point in time. It should have been a draw. You're right. At the very least, it should have been a draw. By the way, how bad would that card have been if that ended in a draw? (laughs) I don't know. I I would have been all about it at that point. It would have been so funny. Chaos in Brooklyn, baby. Bedlam in Brooklyn. But, But that being said, I mean, if you look at the card as a whole... 
you got exactly what you expected. A lackluster card from lackluster matchmaking, with the exception of two. You knew Jacare was going to absolutely fucking steamroll Tim Bosch. Which he did. He got a Kimura in the first round. Killer double leg takedown. Immediately passing to fucking great positions. And he ripped his arm off with a Kimura very quickly. And the other thing you knew you were going to get was a fucking slobber knocker between Dustin Poirier and Jim Miller. And you got that. Never, it, never disappoints. Yeah, great fight. Neither of those fighters have ever disappointed. The rest of the card? Fight of the night performance. Yeah. So the only thing I'll say is, and I've, I've talked about this on the show, I don't mind... A matchup where Jacare, who's clearly, you know, top three in the division or, you know, call it the top four of that division. You have Rockhold, you have Jacare, you have Weidman and Yoel Romero. Those to me are the top four. Notice I didn't say the champion Michael Bisping. Yeah. He's not even in my top four. But, you know, when Jacare just wants a fight to kind of keep him warm and you give him someone like Tim Bosch, who everyone and their mother, he, we knew if he got it to the ground, he was just going to steamroll through. I don't mind that. I'm okay. If a fighter of a top level, you don't always have to match them up best of the best, especially since he's been dicked around for this title shot. So that one I didn't mind. And guess what? It got the best performance of the night. It well, got the best. Uh, the only performance of the night. Yeah, it, well, it got the best finish of the night because it was the only finish. Of the yeah. Night. So I, I don't mind those once in a while either. But when that is like one of the only two bright spots on a card, it's it's just tough. Um, it, and I feel like we should also just briefly mention Anderson Silva stole that freaking decision. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, so Derek Brunson, uh, by all accounts, won at least two out of three rounds. At least the not, first and the second. Right? Yes, right. If not all three, and yet somehow some judges gave Anderson Silva. All, all three. three. Yeah. yeah, one judge gave him all three and two gave him uh, two rounds. And, and you know what? Listen, it's tough in the fallout of these things. There are a million MMA podcasts. We try to be different people. And uh, you know what? Everyone's already said it. It's a different Anderson Silva we're dealing with now. There aren't the same leg kicks. Was he as trigger shy as I thought he was in the Michael Bisping fight? No. I thought he was a little less trigger shy. Uh, it's still just a weird Anderson Silva. It, it's, the there's speed, no killer mentality. Right. The speed isn't there. The kicks aren't there. And you know what? If he wants to keep fighting, you know, the Derek Brunsons of the world, I'm fine with it. But if they somehow, and I can already see the UFC's marketing, you know, minds already working. If they somehow give this guy a title shot by the end of the year because he's Anderson Silva, I think that would be a little bit of a crime depending yeah. on who he might be bypassing. I, I agree with that. I also think uh, matchups with Calvin Gastelum or Vitor Belfort would be just fine by me. You'd want to watch him. I, I, I can Vitor, Vitor is going to blitz forward and he's probably going to get clipped. Okay. Well, I've already seen it and I never need to see another Vitor Belfort fight again and I'd be okay. <laughs> but I love what you said about Kevin Gastelum having up and coming. That's what they, you know, that's kind of what the Brunson fight was. Yeah. It Brunson, was trying to give Brunson over and it should have gotten Brunson over. Right. All right. So I don't think anything more really needs to be said <laughs> other than I think Jacare has already said he's not going to wait around for a title fight. So that's kind of exciting. Where Derek Brunson goes from here, I don't know. Now he's on two losses in a row. Still an exciting fighter at the middleweight division. Some holes, stuff to work on. And then Anderson Silva, you know, there's a Brazil card in early June. You fight him against an up-and-comer. That's kind of where we see him go next. And as far as the 145-pound featherweight division, they said Cyborg's next. Jermaine Durandamy said she needed uh, surgery on her hand. Do you have any preference as to who? There are only like three or four uh, people I, I in do the have division. A, so. I do have a theory on why all of a sudden she needs this hand surgery. Because uh, she has so to fight Cyborg? It's a little bit of a conspiracy. I think she's actually has the hand injury so that she can fight Cyborg. Here's a theory. Oh, wait, run that by me again, Yeah, Willis? here we go. I believe she's, she's talking about a hand injury so that she can fight Cyborg. 
She oh, because Cyborg's gonna because get Cyborg's for probably gonna be popped for another year. She doesn't want to fight home again. She doesn't want to fight some young killer like Megan Anderson who could beat her and steal her shot against Cyborg, Cyborg, which is the money fight. The Cyborg fights the money fight. So if she's out hurt for nine months and Cyborg's got nine more months on a suspension, you know, if Cyborg goes the John Jones route and gets a year, she's probably got like, what, another nine, ten months? Mm Mm-hmm. That would line up perfectly with hand surgery. Okay. This whole thing bores the crap out of me. There are three <laughs> girls in the division. Let's talk about this. This actually interests four, me. Four if you count Megan Anderson. She'll be there soon. Yeah, I agree. Uh, you know, where does Holly go from here? That's actually more interesting to me. Um, three losses in I, a row I now. think she stays at 45. I think she she's better at 45. She looked more comfortable in there despite, like, some weird game plan options. She she didn't look like she was like out of energy at any point. Not that she ever has, uh, but she also didn't look like she had to conserve energy at any point. Um, I, I think she stays at forty five. We'll see what they do with the division around her if they sign some, you know, start snatching up some talent. You know, she could fight somebody like Charmaine Tweet next, which would be a fun fight. Um, uh, well, let me ask you this: it, it just it has to be said. Can you believe if we go into Doc Brown's time machine and went back to November of twenty fifteen? <laughs> The girl who beat Ronda, the Queen Slayer, the Queen Slayer, would then go 0 and 3 in her next three fights. Well, how about when we were about to watch that fight? Which Which we knew was going to be like the big, the the home Rousey fight. Okay, right. Which was like one of the biggest lead ups to a women's fight of all time. Would you ever imagine that neither of those two would ever win a fight again afterwards? <laughs> That's incredible. You're right. It's it's incredible. So Owen combined, they're own fight. five since that fight, or they're own four because Rousey's only fought once since that fight, and and right, right, yeah, right. own four since that fight. Yeah. yeah, but crazy, no wins since then. Wow. All right, mind blowing. Speaking of mind blowing, the UFC trimmed their roster this past weekend. Not terribly mind blowing. Uh, it, it, it was coming. Yeah, it was coming. But there are some surprising names on here. Uh, you know the and this is. Some of them are clearly the UFC has moved on from them because they're free agents and that just makes sense. Or they're they're higher paid veterans that they let become free agents, too. I, I think that's the key here. Yeah. So let's go over some names. Lorenz Larkin and Rick Story are free agents. We knew they they chose free agency. Those are people who said we are going to test free agency. So they could still come back. Right. They're free agents like that. And there are those types of guys who got let go. But then there are guys on win streaks too, which is crazy to me. One of the names, uh, Taylor Lopolis is like, I think the kid's like 24. He's French, which is a market they're trying to tap into, obviously with like people like Francis Naganu there. And they let him go, like coming off a win. Um, and, and you know, two people like uh, Eric Perez, who has the the ability to be the most exciting fighter in the cage or the least exciting fighter in the cage, he's coming off a win, and they let him go too. Yeah, and uh, then you also have guys like again, they were just cleaning up their website. Someone like Uriah Faber, who we already knew retired. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah that's or someone just... like Brock Lesnar, who has been suspended for a year by USADA and is getting paid millions of dollars by the WWE to not get hit in the face for real. That all makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Those those snipping of the rosters that that we saw, I think some of that's WME wanting their website to reflect only who they own. Because it is very clear that they are making sure that they're separating who they own and who they don't own, who's fighting for them and who's not fighting for them. They, they don't want the site to look like, 
you know, the graveyard of all the people who used to fight for. Now, tying this back into more big picture stuff, a lot of people uh, predicted that the UFC uh, was going to cut down in events. They didn't. There's still the same amount of events scheduled this year as there were last year. And even with this uh, purge of 37 people off the website, the UFC still has a roster of, I want to say I saw it, it was 520 fighters still. Or 526. So it's still a very big roster. Yeah, I would expect them to cut probably 30 to 40 more in the next month or two. Yeah. And then you will see probably 10 to 15 added on for the women's featherweight division. I was going to say, and yet out of the 500 or so fighters, there's still only three in the women's featherweight yeah, division. But, but I think when you cut 30, you add 10 to the women's featherweight or 15, say, we're right around 500. And I think that's the number they're looking to, to be right around, 500. Right. Too much math for me to really keep up. <laughs> but here's the bottom line. The biggest name that I don't know if he was actually taken off the website. I'll have the intern double check that. But it came out this weekend that Dana White has ceased negotiations with friend of the show and the number one prospect at light heavyweight, Misha Serkinoff. What were your thoughts when you heard that? Because I got a rant coming. Yeah, I, I mean, like, I'm shocked. And, and the, the piece that shocks me the most is that that interview that, that Dana did with whatever TV show it he was. It was TSN Canada, the T- Fight Network. TSN Canada, which... Serkinov does fight out of Canada. He is a home in Canada. The The part that shocked me is Dana White said, you know, like, it seemed like something had offended Dana White. And you know what I mean? Like, numbers never seem to be what offends I think I can tell you what that is. He said, I met with Misha and his wife. They were nice enough people. But Misha, I can't remember the exact word he used, but reneged on a verbal deal they had. And then Misha, I think at the last minute, came with something else. And Dana said, no, I'm done. Dana, the ever masterful negotiator, I guess just didn't like what transpired in that negotiation. Yeah, that to me, though, is that enough to not want to negotiate ever? That he said, yeah, that sounds good, Whoa. and then came back and was like, well, could you get me 10 more? Right, and that actually, I think that might speak to this being a negotiation ploy on Dana's part if he if it really is about numbers and Dana's saying it's just about being a man of your word and I don't negotiate with someone who reneges. It's not about being a man of your word. Dana fucking said that he was never going to have women in the UFC. We got three divisions now. Sure. So <laughs> the bottom line is it's a negotiation that went sour. And this is what annoys me about it. Misha Serkinov uh, is one of the only exciting fighters. He was ranked in- six. He was ranked six. He just beat Oof. Nikita Krylov, who many thought was the other up-and-coming prospect. And then you have Corey Anderson, who's ranked seventh, also a- an up-and-coming prospect. Might lose to Jimmy Manawa in a couple of weeks, though. Misha Serkinov is 4-0 and with, was it four finishes? Yeah, it was four finishes. Yeah, I think he finished them all. Yeah. No, he might. Maybe not Ian Kudalaba, but I can look up that. And he, you know, broke someone's jaw in the process of a rear naked choke. This is an exciting fighter in a division that has mainly older guys. His last fight, he made 16-16. 16 to show, 16 to win, $32,000 total take-home. So even if Misha Serkinov... Was looking for triple. For looking for triple, right. Even quadruple, let's just say it right now, Sage Northcutt makes 60-60, doesn't he? Or is it just 60 flat? It's something ridiculous. It, I think it's though. 60-60. I think you're and right. I, I just looked it up. Misha Serkinov did submit Ion Kutalaba, who's so, a tough bastard. So is he 4-0 with four... Uh, I believe he's 4-0 with, with four, four finishes. finishes. Yeah. yeah. So... You know, what could Misha Serkinov have asked for? That's the million-dollar question, and what was that magic number that made Dana White say, I'm not going to negotiate with you anymore? 
I listen, if he wants to go fight in Risen and make a name for himself in Japan, or if he wants to go to Bellator with Ryan Bader, who also recently departed the UFC, although no contract's been signed yet with Bellator, at least as of taping this, you'd have Misha Serkinov, Ryan Bader, Phil Davis, and uh, what's his name? Liam McGeary. Yeah. It's not an awful... I mean... I mean, still it, only like one, I, maybe two of them are super exciting fighters. But who, you know, and then at the UFC, you obviously have a very high-end uh, top of the division jones dc glover jimmy manawa but then a huge drop off i mean shogun is still ranked in the top five or he might be somewhere five to ten well i mean i mean jared cannonier was ranked recently and you just saw what he looked like against glover i mean like that's a ranked opponent yeah so why the ufc would not do everything it can to retain misha serkinov to me it just it sets a weird precedent and i also have to say he's one of their few canadian stars and we'll talk to elias theodoro about this momentarily which is a great segue to say that uh we are going to drop our interview right now with the spartan elias theodoro and as always this interview is brought to you by datsusara hemp gear datsusara makes fight gear out of hemp Super durable, antimicrobial. We highly recommend it. Both Gumby and I go to our open mat and we roll in Datsusara hemp fight shorts. Uh, they do not rip. They do not shred. They're my favorite fight shorts that I have. You can check them out at dsgear.com. Enter in promo code TOPTURTLE, all one word, not case sensitive, because that's how we roll. And you could also check out, if you're a gi player, they have hemp gis, which everyone raves about. I am not a gi guy, but I hear they're phenomenal. They also make hemp uh, belts for those gis. So head on over to dsgear.com if you're into that sort of thing. This interview with Elias Theodoro is brought to you by Datsusara Hemp Gear. This is Daniel Gumby Freelander here with my co-host Dave Tremonte, and we are talking to the Spartan Elias Theodoro, who fights Cesar Ferreira at UFC Halifax this Sunday. So close to the fight now. You're in fight week. Uh, can you just let us know a little bit of how the prep week's going uh, only a week away from your fight? Yeah, no, this has been probably the best camp I've had since the Ultimate Fighter. I'm, I'm mentally, physically ready. I'm ahead of schedule in regards to the weight cut. Um, I basically get to eat more, which is always good. Um, and yeah, high spirits and again, body's pretty much a hundred percent other than the, you know, usual bumps and bruises that is expected in mixed martial arts. It isn't about, I'm not, I'm, you know, I'm not made of glass and I'm definitely not a ballerina. It's, it's to be expected. So, so that's one of the, the the oddest things we've ever heard there because usually we t- hear people talk about the Ultimate Fighter as if it's this area where they're constantly cutting weight, they're constantly feeling zapped, they're constantly feeling like they don't have a good training camp. You just said you had the best training camp ever on the Ultimate Fighter? Well, truth uh, be told, the, the Ultimate Fighter finale. So, um, And even even with the um, the actual Ultimate Fighter house itself, I was still in high high spirits during that too. Um, I was chosen along with 15 other like-minded knuckleheads um, <laughs> and many other people wanted that same spot. And I was so thankful. And so you're going to hear an atheist say blessed um, <laughs> the pick. Um, in many ways, uh, again, I understand the privilege to be where it was. And I know many people that um, had to, again, try it out with me, didn't make it on. And then had to go the hard way, uh, you know, outside the UFC and fight their way in in a different way. So 
again, I got the platform of the ultimate fighter and obviously I'm a little biased because I won the damn thing. Um, <laughs> but even then, um, uh, what's called with the, the finale, which was like, I think four months after the, the final taping, I think we left, uh, somewhere in Jan- uh, you know, beginning of December. And then the finale was in April, beginning of April. Um, what I'm trying to say is again, uh, I was very lucky to do my camp then in, uh, in Thailand, uh, at Tiger Muay Thai. And, well, how can you really complain getting ready for the ultimate fighter to win a six-figure contract with your dream job uh, in a beautiful, beautiful place that is Thailand? Um, anyone that complains about anything like that uh, doesn't have perspective, doesn't understand how thankful they should be. Uh, there are many people that want to be in my spot, and there's a reason why I'm happy. Well, that's, that's very well said. And your happiness comes out uh, maybe in no better place than your Twitter feed. Uh, for an up-and-coming fighter, <laughs> you have uh, close to 30,000 followers. Uh, you're by far the most active, pound-for-pound uh, pound number one uh, Twitterer of, of, in the UFC. Has the UFC ever like thanked you for how much fan interaction you do on your Twitter? Have they ever asked you to take over their Twitter feed for a day? Because you've really mastered the art of, of social media interaction with your fans. Yeah, no, they've, uh, I've taken over the UFC Canada uh, Twitter a lot. I've taken over the UFC Twitter. Uh, uh, Twitter as well. Um, I've done, you know, takeovers for the fight pass. Uh, they they notice as well. Uh, and and to go beyond the twenty six thousand I have, I get anywhere between five to seven million imprints impressions a month. Wow. So again, it's not only how many it's not only how many um, followers I have. It's you know, it's Mario Lopez retweeting something. It's this person retweeting. And again, it's become a grassroots thing and. A lot of it has to do with uh, just being, you know, you build it and they will come. Absolutely. And you're always active during the events themselves. Do you do that uh, on purpose just because you know that everyone's, you know, all UFC fans are kind of all hands on deck during events and you know they're going to be active on social media? Did the UFC ask you to always be, you know, tweeting during events? Because you more than any other fighter, if you're not the one fighting, you can always count on Elias Theodoro to be tweeting during events. No, um, yeah, so, like, again, they haven't really told me to do it. Uh, it's become this thing. And, again, in order, in order to, I have, a, I have a background in regards to marketing. That's what I have a degree in, right? So, um, in many ways, I'm promoting the brand that is myself. And especially with social media, it's a huge platform and an opportunity. And anyone that is trying to grow in any capacity uh, should really attach themselves to a live event um, or live event. Uh, and obviously the natural tie-in being the UFC. Uh, again, I'm, I'm starting to dabble in a little bit of things uh, uh, that is, you know, WWE with Suplex Sunday where I, I throw to my fans and then they, they, they scour the web of different suplexes that they're acting. And again, I've actually made uh, my pro wrestling debut uh, a year ago. I was uh, Grease Lightning, uh, spelled G-R-E-E-C-E. Um, I actually wore an all-spandex uh, outfit with a... Um, with a little Greek flag, and my actual finishing move was a Superman comb knockout. <laughs> <laughs> wow! Wait, what promotion was that in? Um, it was it, it, it's a regional circuit. It's called Super Kicks. Okay, okay. So but that... yeah, they throw great shows. They throw great great shows, and it's definitely something I 
I'm looking forward to doing it in the future. We're already in well in talk. Oh, and as we look at it, I have 28,000 right now. <laughs> and I for oh, who's counting? Oh, yeah, who's counting? Exactly. <laughs> so we were actually going to ask you about that. You mentioned the, uh, you know, your background in marketing. You scored a pretty big sponsor. You're sponsored by Pert Plus. Makes hair. Uh, makes sense. You have the best hair in the UFC. Uh, how did that sponsorship come about? Did they reach out to you? Did you send feelers out to them? I mean, it's perfect, right? Yeah. No, I, uh, just again, to, st- uh, to kind of correct you there, I have the best hair in combat sports. If there's a punch, <laughs> if there's a kick, if there's wrestling, if there's jiu-jitsu, my hair is supreme. And if anyone says otherwise, uh, I, uh, I will, again, talk about the per plus and let's just say they pay me handsomely. Um, <laughs> no, uh, again, with, with it, it was a natural tie-in. Uh, it actually started with uh, Shanda, the, or the original, like the former uh, social from the UFC, and I was doing some stuff with them, and again, there was some, like, uh, online play back and forth, and I've been actually a huge proponent of Per Plus for many years, actually. Uh, I don't know if any of you uh, remember the actual uh, commercials from back in the day, the two-in-one Karate Ninjas uh, twins, rather. Um, was that when again, it was it, Pert Plus Great Hair No Fuss? Was that, like, the tagline? I, I believe so, I believe so, yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But again, um, it was a natural tie-in, and uh, I, in many ways, it just kind of became, again, a grassroots thing. And I'm happy to say that the actual uh, um, tagline for our, our, our partnership, our, their, their endorsement, and actually the campaign, I created the main event, M-A-N-E. <laughs> that is punny. I like it. I like it. Um, so you also mentioned in there uh, so many different kind of avenues we could go with you. You mentioned the pro wrestling. Is that something you have your eye on post uh, combat sports uh, MMA? Is that is that a world you would want to enter? A hundred percent. Again, going back to the idea that I have a uh, I didn't grow up watching WWE, then WWF. Obviously. Uh, some of the, the greats are still in there. Some of the names are still in there. And the, the presence uh, and the, again, as someone that has delved into it myself, actually, with a, a pro debut, um, I can tell you it's the funnest thing ever. It is, uh, again, it takes that showmanship that uh, many UFC fighters are trying to dabble in now. And regardless of you look at McGregor, you look at um, Chael Sonnen, uh, they again that showmanship and the crowd that you're able to to focus on is definitely obviously magnitude um, uh, again um, it, you have to focus on the the task that is at hand the equally confident individual trying to kick your ass um, but there's still room to play with it I'm the first person to break the fourth wall in the UFC when I when I made when I uh, made successful uh, you know uh, debut for the ultimate fighter. I was the first person to acknowledge the camera and say, hi, mom. <laughs> so I'm just guessing by age and the fact that you're from Canada, were you a big Bret Hart mark growing up or were you more of like a Hulk Hogan kid? Bret Hart all day. Sharp shooters all day. <laughs> all right. I like it. Respect. Now, all right. You mentioned, you know, in this McGregor era, of, you know, shit talking and you being the, the pound for pound king of Twitter and the UFC. Is this a good thing that so many feuds are started on Twitter? I know you, you've gone back and forth with a number of fighters, Sam Alvey, who you fought in the past, uh, Uriah Hall. Is this a good thing that, you know, fighters are promoting fights on Twitter or in the long run, is it a bad thing? Cause it could feel kind of manufactured. 
It is what it is as long as it's not, like you said, so over-the-top manufactured. Um, I think uh, although me and, uh, or although Uriah and all, and I have uh, actually uh, squashed our beef and we even talked about training, um, in many ways, uh, again, it's part of the gig. Uh, that's what the whole purpose of sports is. That's what competition is. It is our our... our it's filling our need of in between wartime. That was why a lot of sports were done. You don't, the tribalism that is ingrained in us as a society is, you know, itched on in regards to when the Cubs take on Toronto. Like, again, it's, it's narratives that are played out and we want these narratives. We put ourselves in the shoes of these people um, that we, uh, you know, try to emulate, watch and, Again, it creates an exciting aspect to it. There's a you need a reason to tune in. It's not again. That's where the actual whole "I have the best hair in UFC" came from. Um, uh, my then uh, uh, manager, uh, Robin Black, was also the uh, the uh, commentator, KHI commentator for the rest in peace former Score Fighting series, uh, where again he did the whole day's worth of interviews, and it was the you know, the usual boring, I trained really hard for this fight, I think I, I, I have everything said, I want this more. And again, uh, Robin, you know, at the end of the day, in a long day, I was just like, man, this, this day has been boring, blah, 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 it's been a long day because of this and this. I'm like, I got this, I got this, buddy, I got this. And that's what, again, like, the, and that's where the, I guess, the infamous words, kind of were like, what do you think the difference of this uh, this going to be? I'm like, well, I think I'm mentally, physically, and sexually prepared for this. And Robert <laughs> was like, what? And he goes, yeah, let's look at it. He's bald. I'm not. Just like in the power of Samson, I will overcome. And I did. Uh, and that's where the, the best hair in MMA came from, and the idea of trying to be different. And, again, there are 400, there are 400 fighters in the UFC, um, 400 plus. There might be a little less now. <laughs> um, but again, uh, you've got to differentiate yourself in a league that has more athletes than the NBA. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think that's something, and you being, you know, an old school WWF uh, or now WWE fan, you know, that they did in the 80s, part of their marketing ploy was every wrestler you know, would have something that they could package in an action figure with them. Hacksaw Jim Duggan, he had his hacksaw. Yep. Jake the Snake, he had his snake. Uh, you know, the list goes on and on. Rick the Model Martell, someone who I'm sure you're aware of, would have his uh, perfume bottle. And that's something when Aljamain Sterling came on our show, I told him I thought it was awesome that he separates himself with the gold chain. Or you think of someone like Dan the Outlaw Hardy a few years ago coming out with the bandana. Anything to separate yourself from you know the pack the the 400 to 500 fighters on the roster how do you do that and uh you know i, I think you're hitting the nail right on the head for you it's your hair right yes yes the power <laughs> of samson um but again uh, if you build it they will come i i obviously was i've been saying this since my fifth pro fight which if i my memory serves me has to be something like four or five years ago so, again, it builds, and now other people are saying it. I know there's this uh, other MMA fighter, she's a blonde fighter or whatever her name is. Um, she's trying to say it, 
But again, she doesn't have a six-figure contract with no shampoo company. <laughs> Wait, are you talking about Holly Holm and her flowing locks right now, or who are you talking no, about? No, Holly. No, I can't remember her name. No, no, I know Holly. Oh, name. okay. <laughs> no, there's her natural thing is blonde fighter or something like that. Oh, okay. Got uh, Kukula, Kukula. I can't Ch- remember. Her name. Caitlin Chokagian? Yeah. Guy, okay. Yep. I, I thought we were making a comment she, about Holly's hair because her hair is just uh, that's also no, she a has great hair. Yeah, no great one hair. Can deny that she no. has great hair. Can't she deny. Has great it. Hair. Hey, so no. you, uh, being active during the fights, you obviously saw UFC 208 this past weekend. Your thoughts on the late hit for Jermaine Durand to me? Because that's something we opened our show just kind of discussing. What is it? The ref's job to step in there and stop it? Maybe a fighter doesn't hear the bell. What, what were you thinking when you saw that? Should a point have been deducted? Um, definitely, I think the point should have been deducted, but that's not her fault. It's, uh, obviously it's her fault for going past the bell, and especially, you know, um, the first time you could kind of understand, the second time it's like, oh, it's wrong. Um, <laughs> and, uh, again, it's, 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 to quote the great and now retired, uh, Tito Ortiz, you ain't trying if you ain't cheating. Uh, and, uh, in many ways, again, uh, you can understand where, especially, I think it was one of the rounds where she got kicked in the head. Um, again, she's trying to come back and trying to push. And, and in many ways, it's that, that limbic system, right? It's that, that monkey brain that's, that's like, go, go, go. And I, there's the difference between the finite uh, motor skills and then the, the whatever. I, I'm having a brain fart right now. Um, but basically, a fighter's one job is to actually finish a person, and it's up to the ref to stop it. So I think the ref, unfortunately, um, made a couple errors, uh, and especially at a such a important fight, the, the inaugural 145 female uh, championship bout, there was obviously some controversy around it, and it kind of puts a little taint to it. Just, again, it was a close fight, and that added to it, so you can understand um, the concern, but at the same time, I don't think it was that terrible of a card overall. I, I, I understand um, maybe uh, the the you know in many ways people going into it thought Anderson Silva was the one that saved the fight in many regards. So that's what we were expecting. Uh, I don't know. Again, people were poo pooing this beforehand, and then they poo pooed it after. I don't know what you thought would be different. Um, I I could totally uh, understand why uh, fans who have put hard-end dollars into a card that didn't get many finishes, but there are many great fights on it. Um, It won't be the greatest card of the year, but it wasn't horrible. I mean, if I had to rewatch that versus UFC 200, I'd probably rewatch UFC 208 before I rewatch UFC 200. I agree with you. I think, you know, the Jim Miller, uh, Dustin Poirier fight was awesome. Uh, you know, it's still Anderson Silva. I'm watching might not be the same Anderson Silva. It was a controversial judge's decision, but I, there were some fun exchanges in that fight. Um, you know, I was marking out to, to borrow a term from pro wrestling during some moments of that fight. So I agree with you. I think it's getting, uh, unjustly beaten down, but I think part of that was also that, you know, it was headlined by Holly versus Jermaine Durandamy, which felt like a forced fight in a division that there are only three fighters in the division. And why wasn't Cyborg the one fighting for that inaugural fight? That's what I think. I think that's why UFC 208 got a bad rap going into it 
was that that main event. And then the fact that, you know, there was only one finish on the card is what it is. It happens. You know, Papa White said that. Not every not every card's going to have a million finishes on it. Yep, exactly. Pop away, love it. <laughs> so here, real quick, Elias, and we I think I kept you like three times the amount I promised you I would. Uh, oh, I'm all yours. I'm all yours. <laughs> all I, right. I got a lot of time I got a lot of time on my hands and as you can see, it's either us talking or me on Twitter. And as we actually <laughs> are talking, I'm actually uh uh, actually ready to tweet something that came up. <laughs> well, tweet, tweet our show, please. Uh, so that, being, go, <laughs> that being said, uh, you are uh, four and one in the UFC mm-hmm. with a win over Cesar Ferrara moving to five and one. I know you don't want to think past the next opponent and everything else, but, but what would be a logical next step for you? Do you think, uh, you know, are you, are you calling out a top 10 opponent come this Sunday uh, with a win or is it just whatever the UFC gives you? Well, obviously, again, uh, we talked about the showmanship. We talked about the, the, the moment, and no bigger moment than after you get your hand raised. And no, uh, no doubt in my mind I am going to get this W. I, I, this is actually a fun fact. My fifth, you talked about it, 4-1 in the UFC. This is my fifth going forward southpaw in the UFC. I am mm-hmm. over 80% southpaws. I know exactly what I am going to be expecting. This is a hard-hitting jiu-jitsu ace that is very athletic but in many ways i fought a very similar person before in roger Navarez. i think caesar in in every single sense of the word is a better version of that but i've seen this before and and how did that go i broke that man's hand in half mm-hmm. so i'm not going to obviously try to hurt caesar but i'm going to try and finish him and the fact that he's been knocked out four times i think this is a great opportunity to get my first clear knockout i have uh, many TKOs, uh, a couple of TKOs in the UFC, but um, I'm going to be what I usually am, a pressure monster, moving forward and uh, taking everything, being very selfish. Um, I think uh, southpaws are, are a very great uh, you know, opportunity for me, like I've already mentioned with Caesar being one of them. And after I get my hand raised, I'm going to you know, have something planned, whether it's, you know, something funny like how I said once uh, when Joe Rogan interviewed me that fear was not a factor at any point, or like I mentioned before, um, uh, that, you know, breaking the fourth wall and thanking my mom before, uh, um, what do you call it, Mother's Day. Uh, and um, I have a, a call out in mind, too, I think, but we're obviously going to have to wait for me to get my hand raised. Um, and... Uh, I'm really excited. I'm excited at the task at hand. And like I said, this is my best camp. And I'm getting the rounds in. My cardio has never been better. And I am I know I have a better gas tank than uh, Cesar Ferreira. I know that the four lock, knockout losses that he has, uh, it, well, I think it's three in the UFC and also one to Elvis, whatever his last name is, blah, 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 blah. blah. Um, but I, that's going to be mentally weighing on him. He has changed the, as a fighter um, since he first came on the scene. He's no longer the wild Russian for uh, capoeira-infused uh, fighter because, again, he's gotten caught. He's gotten stopped. And even in the three fights that he's won, he got rocked. And I'm so looking forward to push forward and break him. I'm going to break him mentally, physically, and like we said, 
always potentially sexually. <laughs> <laughs> and he does, in fact, have three straight KO losses in the UFC. Uh, so, Elias, we can't thank you enough for the time. Uh, always great to catch up with you. Hopefully we could do it again uh, down the road, and we wish you the best of luck. Uh, in the fight, uh, Elias fights Cesar Ferrara this Sunday at UFC in Halifax. Thanks so much, Elias. My pleasure, gentlemen. So there you have it, Gumby. Elias Theodoro. Was I have to ask after that interview? Was that the most fun? you've ever had interviewing somebody yeah i mean we've had so many great interviews on the show i had so much fun interviewing tim kennedy obviously i knew you were gonna say tim kennedy yeah well more (laughs) serious subjects with kennedy uh but yeah elias i mean you just have to go to his twitter feed uh which i guess i should give out here uh if you don't already know it it's at elias theodoro uh you know what 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 do you say i think 28.8 thousand oh but seven million impressions seven million impressions and his twitter feed is very funny he's very witty and he's very accurate Active. Uh, but yeah, he's a fun guy to talk to, and I hope we get to catch up with him again down the road. Um, that being said, I love how there was like a car horn honking every like yeah, five I, minutes. I, in I, our I don't quite know what that horn was. Uh, I was I, that might have been on his end. We'll have to ask him about that later on down the road because it wasn't on our end. So I don't know what what was going on there. All right, so Gumby, little breaking news here as we do our interview. It looks like we are going to get a Joanna Yangjacek, Joanna Violence, as some people have come to call her, Joanna Champion, as she is known. Uh, title defense, and it's going to come at 211, UFC 211 in Dallas this May, and uh, it's going to come against Jessica Andrade. I love the matchup. Uh, Andrade is just like, I think, the right kind of fighter that we need to see Ioana Janjacek fight in order to, like, crown her one of the top pound-for-pound fighters of all time. I mean, she's already, you would have to say top five pound-for-pound in the world, right? I mean, like... You know, she has the best Muay Thai. She has some of the best hands. Yeah, you'd, in you'd probably say what Connor, John Jones, uh, Mighty Mouse, Mighty Mouse, Joanna. Yeah, she's so she's got to be and in the top five. If you asked me this two years ago, I'd say Ronda Rousey. You know what pisses me off? And this is a side <laughs> conversation about pound for pound whatevers. Yeah, I can't wait to hear this. <laughs> All right, so this is like it might not sound logical, but here it is. So in a regular top ten ranking, the champion fights in an ideal world the number one contender, and then when the number one contender wins he becomes the champion and the champion moves to number one or maybe goes two if he got beat bad right okay so there's some logic to it but then you have something and i thought about this when cody no love uh just beat dominic cruz all of a sudden out of nowhere he's nowhere ranked in the top 15 (laughs) pound for pound now he's number four pound for pound yeah I, i wouldn't put him at four but you're right. The jumps are bigger. The just jumps because, are bigger. It's because just, they need to have champs in the pound for pound. I just think right. it's dumb. I, yeah. I'm not really a big pound for pound guy. Okay, but but regardless, say. what I was saying is is that Yoana, she's amazing. Yoana needs a big striker to like solidify her as one of the greats of all time. Because right now, if you think about who she's fought, I mean, Penne, more of a grappler. Valerie Letourneau, more well, kind of a striker, but not not like a super impressive striker. Asparza, grappler. Um, Gedalia, grappler. Gedalia again, grappler. Kowalkowicz is more of a striker. But I know know what you're saying. But like heavy pressure, heavy volume, heavy power striker. Yeah, so I think Gedalia probably fits that mold best, but she's really, yeah, I think of her more very all-around. Andrade is just a power striker. Yeah, and we we haven't seen her fight that person yet, and that's really exciting to me. All right, well, another fight that has been uh, announced that I am not excited about is Cub Swanson and Artem Lobov are going to be headlined. 
headlining a fight night card in Tennessee, I think it is, in April. I am so confused by that. Cub Swanson um, is coming off a fight of the year performance over Doohoo Choi. He's who's ranked, a mega prospect. Who's a mega prospect. And he took 74 steps back to fight Artem Lobov. Artem Lobov, out of the, let's call it 60 uh, you know, featherweights, is somewhere in the 50s. Yeah. How did he get a main event? Oh, wait, he's Conor McGregor's boy. Well, is that what? what this is? I, I think that this might be a little bit of Cub Swanson's doing, too, because everybody wants a piece of the Conor McGregor pie right now, and what better way to taunt conor mcgregor into a fight than by beating the shit out of one of his best friends and calling him out on on live tv you know who wrote the playbook on that it's called pulling a betch correa you beat the four horsewomen to get to the top horsewoman Rhonda, and she got you it, know however... it, didn't, it didn't play out well no but she, <laughs> but she got a, her biggest payday yeah. she probably got more on that night than she did in the beat all fights. three of the other yeah. horsewomen exactly yeah. so it, you know it could be smart in that regard if cub swanson uh, finishes Artem Lobov, which, hey, Vegas, take my money now. I'd put a bet on that. Yeah. Uh, You're probably going to get him at negative 7,000. <laughs> but then he gets on the mic and says, hey, Connor, I just beat the shit out of your boy. Let's go. You have an instant feud there. I don't know if Connor would take it, but you could see where Cub's mind is probably at. Yeah. Yeah. All right, so let's talk about the fight this uh, the fight card this weekend. It's uh, UFC in Halifax on a rare Sunday night. It's headlined by Derek Lewis versus Travis Brown. We, of course, just got to speak to Elias Theodoro, who also fights on the card. Uh, and I will give you what our two main event fighters have been up to lately. Derek Lewis, the Black Beast, as he is known, is coming off a big TKO over Shamil Abdurahimov. That was in the fourth round. Kind of a boring fight. Um, headline of Albany. Headline of Albany. Uh, but before that, he got a split decision win over Roy Nelson, knocked out Gabriel Gonzaga. The dude is on a five-fight win streak. Travis Brown, you might know him as the boyfriend of Ronda Rousey. He has since left Glendale Fight Club. Oh, the, he he actually refuted that sort of. He's kind of just traveling. Kind of just, yeah, it's kind of get. he's not there all the time anymore. Yeah, but that being said, he's coming off two losses in a row. One to Cain Velasquez at UFC 200 via TKO, and then a decision loss to Fabricio Verdum back in September. Beat Matt Mitrione last January in a very uh, controversial fight because he was eye-poking the crap out of Matt Mitrione. Mitrione actually did try to appeal uh, the decision, didn't work, never does. And then our, uh, he lost Arlovsky before that back in May of 2015 in a banger of a fight. So Travis Brown is one and three in his last four and just trying to get his career back on the right track. Who you got here, Gumby? You, you want to know the crazy thing? Is I'm sure. actually sort of leaning Travis Brown. Tell me why. Uh, I, I mean, like, so if you watched Derek Lewis's fight with Abdurakahimov, he only won... Once he got the fight to the ground, okay, mm-hmm. he won the fight by finally taking Abdurakimov down. In in a hundred percent, Derek Lewis gets you down on the ground. It's over. The dude throws bombs and he's heavy and he stays on top of you. The problem is, is just like when he's on his feet, he's not impressive. I mean, he was throwing kicks on Abdurakimov and, and they were getting caught. You look at Travis Brown's history. I, I don't think he's gonna out. Box Travis Brown, and if you think about people trying to take Travis Brown down, doesn't really happen. It doesn't happen very often. In ask when Brendan they, Shaw about that goes. Yeah, or or like you know when people tried to to take him up against the cage. I mean, he is the one who knocked out uh, Josh Barnett with the elbows. Mm-hmm. I mean, to the side of the head. He's got those crazy elbows, 
is it just going to be another time where we see that? You know, like the Black Beast tries to take him down one time, gets him up against the cage. He throws four or five of those elbows and it's out. And it's not like Derek Lewis is not able to be knocked out. Matt Mitrione beat him before. Derek Lewis is a minus 125. You can get Brown at a very slight underdog at plus 105. But Gumby, I think you're bringing up some good points. I think Brown's a good play despite not really having great odds on him. Yeah, I'm not 100% sold on picking him. You know, just like at this moment right now, that's the way I'm leaning. I, I, I see it as a good matchup for him. Uh, all right, we'll move now to the co-main event, uh, and that's Johnny Hendricks, finally. Finally, finally, <laughs> Johnny Hendricks has come up. I thought to you were going to say, finally, I'm getting to see Johnny Hendricks fight again. And I was like, well, I, I mean, we just saw him in a uh, lackluster <laughs> Neil Magny fight. But uh, yeah, and then he's going to be fighting uh, Hector Lombard, uh, the judo uh, sensation. Hector Lombard is coming off of a loss to Dan Henderson. Very exciting fight back at UFC 199 in June. He lost to Neil Magny via TKO. Also a very exciting fight back in March of 2016. So not the greatest 2016 for Hector Lombard. He's 0-2 dating back to last year. He had a no contest with Josh Berkman that was overturned. It was originally a unanimous decision win for Lombard, but then he popped for anabolic steroids. Stop me if you've heard it before. Johnny Hendricks making his debut at middleweight. Uh, he last lost to Neil Magny back in December, lost to Kevin Castellum via decision before that. The Magny loss was also a decision, and he got TKO'd by Stephen Thompson back last February. Also an awful 2016 for Johnny Hendricks, the former welterweight title holder. He's 0-3 in his last uh, three, obviously, and his last win, you'd have to go back to March of 2015 versus Matt Brown. You want to peel it back one more. He, of course, lost his title in a split decision to Robbie Lawler in December of 2014. So one in four in his last five. This night could be called uh, fighters trying to get back on the right track. Who you got here, Gumby? I, I like Johnny Hendricks in this one. You know, we, we talked to him on the show a while back, and he talked about, you know, a little bit about how draining it is to to get down to 170, I think at 185, you're going to see a more powerful wrestler um, and a more powerful puncher. If you remember when he first started in the UFC, he knocked some dudes out quick. I mean, he knocked Martin out... Martin Catman. Uh, he knocked out John Fitch in seven seconds. First I mean, time Fitch was finished in the UFC. Yeah, so, I mean, like, he has those powerful fists. Um, and I, I think being up a weight class, he's going to look faster. He's going to look stronger. And you're going to see a new Johnny Hendricks. Uh, and if you want to know the odds on this, you could get Johnny Hendricks as a plus 130 dog and Hector Lombard a minus 150 favorite. We'll go now uh, through the card, Gumby, rather quickly. Uh, favorite fighter of both of ours, I believe. You have Sam Cecilia as a plus 135 dog against Gavin Tucker at minus 155. What are you thinking there? Uh, I, I mean, Gavin Tucker is a tough newcomer, but he, he's a newcomer facing a really wily vet. Veteran. I think the reason the odds are so low on on Sam Cecilia there, I mean, he's an underdog, which is surprising to a newcomer, um, is that he just seems to have gotten hit a lot recently. Uh, he seems very hittable, not enough head movement. I think I might go with the newcomer, Gavin Tucker, on this one. Uh Carla Esparza, the former uh, 115 female champion, is going to be fighting Randa Marcos. Uh, Esparza, a very heavy favorite here at minus 280. The wrestling star is Randa Marcos, uh, plus 240. Also a good wrestler herself. 
uh, but not as good as Esparza. Yeah. What do you think? And, and that's why I'm going Esparza. Is, is just Marcos's big thing is she wrestles really well. She's going to get out-wrestled by Carla Esparza. Carla Esparza is a much superior wrestler. Nordine Talib, the plus 260 dog. Uh, Santiago Ponzanibio, one of my favorite names to say, is a minus 320 uh, favorite. Your thoughts? I love Ponzanibio. I mean, he's his hands are absolutely deadly. Talib is is no joke though. Uh those are actually really good odds if you like Nordine Talib. Um cuz Ponzinibbio obviously not untouchable, but I like Ponzinibbio in this one and in a lot of fights actually. One of the more exciting fighters on the roster, training partner of Cowboy Cerrone, you have Paul Felder, a minus 350 favorite, Alessandro Ricci, a plus 290 dog. Your thoughts? Felder right here. Uh I I mean I like Felder just because his striking is so much better. Um, and Ricci, I mean, he's a, he's a good young guy for the card, but I, I mean, this is a fight set up for Felder to get back in the WCOM. Friend of the show and Rufus sport product. Gerald Mearshart is a minus 300 favorite over Ryan James, the plus 250 dog. Oh, Mearshart all day. Uh, I love this guy at, you know, he, he's making his debut a little bit later in life at like 29. Uh, but he's such a killer, great submission skills, and his boxing and wrestling is just coming along so well working with that killer team. One of the more boring fighters on the roster, Sarah McMahon, is a minus 485 favorite, the biggest on the card. She'll be fighting Gina Mazzani at plus 385. I dare you to tell us something about Gina Mazzani. You know, you, you dare me about that a lot. This is one of the few times I can't come through because I just looked at this card this morning. I saw that name, and I was like, who is Gina Mazzani? So it is one of the first times I can't tell you something. That is, it really says something, because I know a lot about a bunch of random-ass fighters not in the organization. Well, I'll tell you, she's 4-0, and Gumby, uh, in promotions such as AFC and Rumble on the Ridge. A- uh, AFC Alaska Fighting Championship? I believe so, yeah. And she, that was she that was her last fight. It was a TKO over Katie Halley. So again, a 4-0 and prospect, but not heavily favored. I wouldn't not heavily favor to. against Sarah McMahon. That girl can wrestle, man. Yeah. So nothing to go against there as far as the odds go. Uh, and then you also have friend of the show uh, and all-around great guy, Eamon Zahabi, the brother of Faraz Zahabi, is making his UFC debut 6-0 and as a pro. He's a minus 220 favorite to Reginaldo Vieira, a plus 180 dog. There are few debuts I'm more jacked up for than Eamon Zahabi. Uh, the dude is just freaking awesome all around. He's one of the nicest guys you'll ever talk to. Um, and obviously having a big brother who's maybe the best coach in all of MMA uh, up there with Greg Jackson. I mean, what's not to be pumped up about his debut? All right. And then you have uh, Jack Marshman, a plus 140 dog to Tiago Santos, a minus 160 favorite. Yeah, I, I really like uh, I like Marshman in this one just mostly because, you know, he's a younger prospect. Both of them throw super heavy hands. You're probably going to see a performance of the night out of one of these two tonight. Um, I like Marshman just because I think he's a little bit quicker. I mean, he's only 27. I mean, he knocked out Magnus Sedenblad in his, his UFC debut. Something to be said for that. All right, and then Oe's the main event, M-A-N-E, <laughs> friend of the show. You heard him here earlier today on our podcast, Elias Theodoro, the Spartan. He's a plus 105 dog, a slight dog, to Cesar Ferrara, the minus 125 favorite. Your thoughts? That's kind of surprising, isn't it? I, I would have thought he'd be a favorite. I mean, good odds there for Elias. And, and you know, he was 100% right. He's fighting this dude. He's been knocked out a bunch. 
His hands are good. His pressure's good. You just have to assume this is an Elias Theodoru clean knockout on the way. I was going to say, too, I mean, even, you know, if it goes the full three rounds, I totally give the cardio edge to Theodoro Oh, I mean, his well. cardio is out of this world. Yeah, so uh, I'm going Theodoro as well. Not a homer, not just because I like the guy, not just because he came on our show. I truly believe this is a Theodoro win. All right, that being said... This has been another episode of Top Turtle MMA Podcast. It's UFC Halifax this Sunday night, headlined by Travis Brown versus Derek Lewis. Enjoy the fights. We'll be back next week with a very exciting guest uh, with a very big fight coming up. And we, of course, can't thank you enough, our listeners, for tuning in. Hit the download button. Hit the subscribe button. Write a review. It really goes a long way. We can't thank you enough. I am David Tremonti. He is Daniel Gumby-Vreeland. This was Top Turtle MMA Podcast. We'll be back next week.